Welcome to this week's edition of Voices in Hyperspace. I'm Damian Smith, aka Legendary Black Lion. I'm Mel Asylum, also Mel's Rebellion. And Nita, surviving a hurricane in San Diego. Yeah. So, um, Nita, so this is a week of extreme weather all across the country. Um, can you tell us, can you give us your, uh, was it, what do they call it? Your, um, your eyewitness report. <laughs> this just in, coming in from San Diego, California, the first tropical storm to hit Southern California in 90 years. Actually, that is a fact. Um, yes. It's like eight something years. And um, it's, I guess now it's no longer a hurricane. It's, it's on land, it's in Mexico. And I guess it has a passport because it's coming over to the U.S., going right through California, and it's supposed to keep going to Nevada as well as what I saw on the map. It's just raining right now outside, um, but the news folks are saying to expect hail. We've even might have a tornado. It's it's going to be something very interesting outside, so I'm indoors where it's That's safe. That's wild. So Hillary basically took a trip to Cancun on her way back to Vegas, and she's making it everybody's problem. Got it. She had to <laughs> Margaritas, for sure. <laughs> and then here in the Midwest, we are experiencing a heat wave. Um, at the time of this recording, it is 6.09 p.m. and it is 96 degrees with a heat index of 117. So bring in your animals. Uh, make sure you check on your loved ones who might not have um, modern appliances and accommodations get the box fans the window units air conditioning all that stuff move people get them out of them 100 year old houses and move them somewhere give put them put them where they can be cool because the heat kills (laughs) yeah them people with chicken coops outside they're gonna go outside and have some rotisserie chicken (laughs) (laughs) you better go on your animals Okay, so this week we are talking about episode six of season one of Babylon 5. This is entitled Mind War. And before I start talking, because I got a lot of notes, I want to know what are y'all's initial impressions of this episode? I felt like this was a very scary kind of episode because just like thinking about explorers general in general like the best explorers are never satisfied with what they find and a lot of the cool accommodations that we're experiencing today is because people explored and they experimented and they pushed the limits to see how far we could go um and to know like to know that people to be reminded i would say that people would use an, an, an advancement for malice um, mm. is really scary. Yeah. So I'll wait to give my initial thoughts when Mel gets back. But, I'm back. Oh, there. Okay. So okay. you know what? You go ahead first and then I'll share mine. Okay. Still, as usual, a lot of metaphors for the theme of the show, um, which pretty much was advancement. And the different ways people can use it. It's advancement 
can be scary if you use it in the wrong way. It depends on who's got it and what's on their minds. Uh, uh, hmm? I said pun intended. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, even with the, the um, science fiction one, well, both of it's science fiction, but the physical and the mental advancements that was being made and also just not understanding what's out there or even what's right beside you. Yeah. They played with that too. Or what's standing right in front of you. We'll right. talk about that and in just were, a moment. Very poetic about it this time. <laughs> yeah. Usually they are. So um, the theme that came across, because Nita did point to advancement. Um, this The theme seemed to be advancement, but at what cost, right? Mm-hmm. And so the Psychor, they they burst on the scene. First of all, we get introduced to Bester, who is going to be one of the most interesting characters in the show. We already met a whole bunch of like some heavy personalities. And Bester comes in just, man, already showing his weight. So that's uh, Walter Koenig from um, Star Trek, the original series. He played Lieutenant Commander Chekhov. And he does, an ama- like, first of all, this actor, he has incredible range. He loves Star Trek. He absolutely loves Star Trek. So much so that he will, um, he has from time to time starred in uh, independent or fan-made films mm-hmm. uh, as his character, um, but what he does with Babylon 5 is mold. You can't even, like, you can recognize him. You see who he is. But the character, Bester, is a menace. He is an absolute menace. And Walter Koenig, basically, every scene you see him constructing something that is great. And I can't sing his accolades enough. This He, need, he deserves um, awards for this character. You two were just introduced to him, and um, let me ask you, what impression did you get of Bester and the Psychor, just just from the way that they are presented in this episode? Very, I'm very skeptical of Psychor. Um, Bester was very small, but big. And right. you i forgot how short he was when you know he it's just him the camera's focused on him and he's talking it's like yo this man he got big one then you pan out and he's next to this woman barely coming up to her belly button and i'm like Yeah, so the Psychor are kind of a proxy for space Nazis in this episode, in this uh, series. They mm-hmm. are they 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 have the um, the all black. Like Talia kind of throws that off, right? She 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 comes across with like the power business suit, you know, the business pants suit. Um, I think they they cast a blonde woman on purpose just to kind of like throw you for a loop like yeah she's a telepath but she's attractive and we're going to present her in mostly a sympathetic way right and then here comes these two very dark brooding telepaths and they're like we're more powerful than you we get to do whatever we want uh they're they're space nazis and 
the um, title mm-hmm. of the show the, of the episode is appropriate. The mind war, and mm-hmm. you don't have to really know too much about what's going on, other than these Nazi people are mind police, and uh, Sinclair immediately deals with Bester accordingly. Uh, he's like, get out of my mind, use your mouth and talk because you know, there are rules about telepathy. Mm-hmm. Right. But, um, yeah. but overall, like my impression is if we're going to, if we're going to keep with the Nazi theme, it's eugenics. Mm-hmm. They, they genetically enhanced a telepath and they were trying to modify his powers. Now I can't help but to notice that the person that they experimented on was a black man. Like yeah. there's, there's a lot of visuals that stand out. Like they're shouting at me. Um, they do these eugenics. First of all, like the psychor practices eugenics. Like I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and spoil that. The psychor practices eugenics. That's what they do. They try to make more telepaths. So they, they um, mate telepaths with other telepaths so they can make more and stronger telepaths. That's what they do. They're Nazis. <clears throat> then they experimented on this one to enhance his powers. And uh, what I couldn't help but notice is throughout the show, uh, Jason, he is trying his best. He, he is a black man that is struggling to ho- withhold his power. And that is a visual. Um, if I, I, I wrote this down, I know this is not intentional for the show, but since the '90s, this is something that's become more, more uh, talked about. How uh, black people, and I will say, in my case, as a black male, I find myself like diminishing myself for the sake of being perceived as less dangerous. And it is a struggle because it's like, I don't know what people think is dangerous. You know, uh, I had yeah. to stop that because because it it hurts me and it does me. It doesn't know when any good. And it's just like, I just have to be me. And if you think I'm dangerous, that's your problem. But but that is that is something that came through very strong in this episode. I don't think it was intentional, but the the visuals, the optics are still there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then yeah. uh, go ahead. <clears throat> no, go ahead. No, because I'm about to go too far. Go ahead. <laughs> no, go, go. Hey, go all the way. Go all the way. Need to be in hyperspace. But uh, the scene where they're trying to walk him to the ship, and he's struggling, and they're just waltzing down the hall. <laughs> <laughs> it's like y'all can't help him. But like it makes sense according to the story, like he doesn't want to hurt them, and what's happening to him would hurt them. But you still get to see him like just acting his ass off, struggling down the hall, oh, and yeah. they're just like <laughs> waltzing. Like she's not even like sad or concerned or anything; she's just waltzing down the hall. Like, <laughs> let's go, <on> yeah. But I mean, I, the visuals there, right? You have mm-hmm. the, the the center, the black character who's at the center of this, and he's struggling, and all the white characters are just ha- taking it easy. <laughs> I know it's unintentional, but is the optics are there? <laughs> yeah. it's hard to ignore. 
and, and I was just like, well, of course, it's a white woman. But, <laughs> but I was when he said something about the carotid artery, is that how you pronounce it? I know mm-hmm. it's not. I think so. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was like, yo, I wonder if, like, what would it look like to disassemble a human? And then later we get to see. You get to oh. see that. Yes. Like, <laughs> I was like, yes, they did. Um, and and to see him like transform, he's like, I'm becoming. And Lady was like, becoming what? And it's just becoming like I I am, you know, like the whole God. I yeah. Yeah. I am. And then the I think therefore I am in the universe and then it's just everything is connected and he became everything because he became i I just thought that was really yeah he was um i mean again i don't know i don't think j michael straczynski was intentional in this because i don't think he has very much um i don't think he's made much commentary in the way of like pan-Africanism or black radical thought or anything like that. But he turned this black man into a God by the end of this episode. And I'm just like, yo, brother, <laughs> like, like who you been reading? <laughs> I was talking to a friend who is not, um, she, she's anti-religion and we were talking about, God and things. And then I said, well, the black man is God. Everybody knows that. And then a black man that we know um, just happened to show up to the coffee shop. And I was like, look, God, <laughs> won't he do <laughs> Coming through. But I was definitely excited to see him transform. And um, but a little bit taken aback by the image. Did you guys happen to notice the humanoid image in all of that light? Yeah. Um, it was very Eurocentric. Hmm. Yes. And all I'll say is, well, you know, it was, it was quote unquote featureless, but those features were like, for the most part, as you said, Eurocentric features. Um, it changed. Cause he was like bald and, uh, stuff very (laughs) but also as much as we talk about how certain um like after a while you kind of ignored the the cg that's Mm -hmm. that one special effect just didn't hold up at all it i'm pretty sure that there are more that will you know be examples in the show but that one, I'm like, oh man, I wish, I wish we could go back and enhance that somehow, because <laughs> it just didn't work. It doesn't work in 2023. Mm-hmm. So, Catherine's um, still around. Um, yeah. Sinclair's love interest. She's still hanging around the station, which, uh, which I forgot that this happened. So I was surprised. I'm like, oh yeah, she does hang around for a couple episodes. And then she immediately does what Sinclair does, and she puts herself in clear danger. <laughs> Even though Jakar warns her, don't go, I think it was Sigma 579. She like, he's mm-hmm. like, 
don't go to Sigma 579. She's like, well, why not? And he yeah. explains, like, and things happen out there. You don't, like, you don't want to go out there. Like, it's it's like, um, it's like you out, just think, think anywhere. Um, black people warn you, like, don't go out there. Weird things go on out there. People see things. And you know what other black people do? Like, oh, well, shoot, I'm not going to go out there. Mm. Of course, you have some non-black people like, I want to see it. Before you say now, I was thinking like a child, like, don't touch that. Don't go over there because this might happen. And, you know, they some of them just got to go. <laughs> They're curious. Yep. And obviously she's curious as a surveyor. It's her job to explore stuff. She's, her job is to be curious. But she was determined. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she yeah. was determined. And she was about to die. I was getting real frustrated. So with the 10% power that was left in her vehicle, she couldn't do anything. And then I'm well, like, what's the point of recognizing that you got 10% power if you couldn't do anything with it? Like, just shut off. Selfish or something. <laughs> just, just end it all early. Yeah, like, I'm going to let you burn up as you fall down to this surf. You're not even going to know what it feels like to crash because you're going to be dead by then. You're going to be like them chickens outside <laughs> where <laughs> Damien now. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I forgot about. Sigma five seven nine and how early they introduce um, what she saw, mm-hmm. but I think more importantly, uh, the previous episode we got to see a lot more of Jakar, and then this episode we get to see a very different side of Jakar. He even goes out of his way to say, "Look, everyone in this station, no one on this station is what they seem or what they appear." You have to understand that. And I'm like, that's a good point. That's a very good point about this show. Like, mm-hmm. Jakar, the first couple of episodes, he's clearly a villain. He's kind of like, he's, he, you know, he's kind of like a, if he had hair, he'd be a mustache twirling villain. Lando Malari is clearly uh, a corrupt, power hungry politician. But you get to see that each of them have nuance. They have spectrums with them. But they play position. They play their positions because of the, the power that they represent. Mm-hmm. And then there's Delin. Um, we don't know. At the moment, we don't know much about her other than she's lying to everybody. <laughs> so... Yeah. And often in this show, sometimes people lie for the right reasons. So, yeah, we don't know why she's lying. I think, I think she may have good intentions. Jakar, I was um, like not really liking feeling um, sympathy for him. I think was it the last episode? Yeah, but yeah, the last episode. He just like, and then this episode, I'm just like, what are you? helping her for, you know, it's not because you care about her life. You, you got something, you trying to 
cashing on a favor later is what I feel like. He kind of admits that too at the end of the episode, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, well, what is this? he says something to the effect of like, well, you know, you're Sinclair's significant other and uh, keeping you safe turns out to be a good thing for me, maybe. But I don't know. <laughs> right. uh, he also said there's no pro- there's no profit in you dying. Yeah. I didn't Before miss, he I, said <laughs> Huh. I didn't catch that. There's no profit in you dying. Yeah. I'm like, that's Which, the kind of cold reason to kill someone. That but, translates to current life. Like there's no profit in us dying. So we we need you to live so you can keep working. he you have to also think about it like this he he used resources to send those ships out to save her and that probably like that that could that could that can't be cheap that can't be like oh well we got we run these well we know for a fact in this universe that everything costs money so sending those those ships out to go save her cost you know I don't know, millions of credits or whatever. And so there, you know, that's an investment. He is, Mm -hmm. he's, he's, he does have a stake in keeping her alive. And I will say this, I'm sure that Jakar will have many more exploits waiting for us in the future. (laughs) And we're just learning bits and pieces, right? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, when the telepath went to Sinclair and was like, I know I'm asking you to put your life in danger. So that's his favorite thing to do. That I is know. his favorite pastime. That dude's, his heart rate went, put my life in danger. I'm, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> he was disappointed in the last episode that he couldn't get to put his life in danger. <laughs> uh, oh, God. He's trying to end it in, in a noble manner. Yeah. He's trying to be clean uh, on. <laughs> oh, yeah. With honor. <laughs> <laughs> the, there were a couple of things that I noticed. When the Psychor first came to the station, they present this cool, this really cool badge with this holographic animation. It's very different from the pilot episode where they had this video screen, it was like basically like a business card with like this awesome uh, After Effects intro showing the Psychor logo, which mm-hmm. while the Psychor logo looks cool, I can't help but to see a swastika, which that's probably why it looks that way. It has to be. <laughs> it has to be. <laughs> and um, and then to connect the Psychor to Nazis even more is when Jason says like the Psychor is all about control. They control mm-hmm. the telepaths. They control the economy. I'm like, holy crap, that's a big jump. Like controlling yeah. the telepaths, you know, in your division to be in like, yeah, we also control the economy. Like, wow. Okay. And then take it further. We control the energy. Yes. That mm-hmm. is. Yep. And, and like I could take apart your atoms and and rearrange them, I was like into what? Like, could you turn him into a table? 
would it be functioning? <laughs> I was curious, but go ahead. <laughs> I mean, you know, they only had they only wanted this character for one episode, but I'd be interested. Uh, he kind of like. To tell the truth, I don't know if any of you know much about comics. He reminds me of, like, Silver Surfer. Oh, um, yeah. He gets these cosmic powers, and he can do it, almost anything with them. But he's still a prisoner, basically. Yeah. yeah. Wait. When, what? Go ahead. I'm sorry. sorry. I So I had to look up Silver Surfer. That's yeah. what the dude, like, the when he became, that's what I'm feeling like he looked like, looking at him right now. Yeah, oh, yeah, he, he, yeah. he kind of looked okay. like the Silver Surfer just floating up mm-hmm. there. <laughs> <laughs> when when Psychor arrived on the station, Bester, he's talking about how basically the the way that he's talking about him, the talking about Jason, is he's dehumanizing him. He talks about he's he's talking about how he has value, you know, he has um information that can harm Earth Force and the core and the Psychor. And then mm-hmm. he goes on to say, like, he's a valuable commodity. Uh-huh. So he's basically livestock. He's a he's a resource. He's not a person, but he is a resource. And they talk about the the research that went into creating him. It again optics, right? This reminds me of um, like the various medical experiments done on um, black and brown people in the early uh-huh. 1900s, from what they were doing to women to discover. "Quote unquote," discover, practice, and create gynecology. They were basically mutilating black women. Oh, yeah, um, what they did with the Tuskegee experiments and um, yeah. the massive um, sterilization programs in uh, mm. black and brown communities. You know, this is all eugenics. Yeah, I think um, when you said that, it reminded me of when um, I watched this as a kid. That's when my dad was first telling me about the. Um, Tuskegee experiment. That just triggered. I mean, I always remembered it, but I didn't remember that it was this show that we were watching, which is why he told me. Oh, wow. Yeah. You said you were 11? I was maybe eight or nine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the show came out when I was eight, so eight, nine, ten, somewhere around there. I was going to say, like, you were naming the different things, and and I went on a hunt for information some years ago and learned about, like, what, I don't know if it was the Koreans doing it or if it happened to the Koreans, something about, like, knowing um, how our bodies react to extreme weather, and cold was one of them, and they would put the person outside to see how Mm. long they would survive in the cold, and a book I forget what it was called I read a lot of books and they were explaining like the horrible things that have happened to people that we benefit from so like yeah the Tuskegee experiment sucked but but <laughs> all the things <laughs> that was learned from it you know and it's like gosh was could we have known about this some other humane way? You know, like why yeah. we got to be weird about learning things. And it made me feel a little uncomfortable about enjoying like our advancements, knowing how we got here. And that comes up a lot during like um, 
body positive body positivity that uh why we know how many calories a person needs in order to run their body were ex um starvation experiments done on Jews. We know about the nutrition that we need based on um them starving uh indigenous children like they would take them from their homes and put them in these schools and just play with their food and and, and watch them starve and watch the results of it. But we benefit from it now. But yeah, there's a lot of um, Nazi science in there too. Yeah, um, with all of that, and what's horrible on top of the horrors we already uh, went over is they did a lot of experiments just to see what would happen. There, there was no like we are Mm -hmm. doing this to learn this about humans. It was just like let's just see what's gonna happen. Yeah, and then they found out. And also, um, I think the uh, it was the electrical current in people. They learned how much electrical current people can um, up- sustain from experimenting with autistic children because mm-hmm. they used electric therapy on them in order to try to change them, fix them, so-called fix them. <laughs> they just tortured them. <laughs> yeah. Like, the scientific advances that we are making today you know like a lot of it comes from like right now people are thinking more and more about ethics uh but you know not even a hundred years ago it was like there was no ethics the people um they didn't even they didn't even consider the subjects they were experimenting on as human or Mm -hmm. fully human and it was just like oh well they don't feel pain or oh they don't have souls and so we can do whatever we want to them. And and now we're in a place where we are considering treating people better, quote unquote. But but now it's like, what was the cost? The cost was humanity. And mm-hmm. and perhaps, I don't know, but I think I do. You don't have to sacrifice your, your humanity for scientific advancement. So just just some things to think about. And I think that's one of the central questions like this this episode is ask telling us to consider is like, do you have to sacrifice your humanity to figure out what's out there, what's going on, you know? Yeah. Or like risk your life just right. you know, just by curiosity. I like I love ants. I I have a treaty with them. And um, I don't like them on me, but the way that ants operate is so really fascinating. And the when Jakar was explaining, like, this is an ant, and I just picked it up. Now I just put it down. And how would it describe what just happened uh, to another ant? I don't. The ant doesn't give a damn. Like <laughs> the ant is just like I'm gonna do me over here and. <laughs> Be killed, you know, <laughs> and they function so well. The ants are well fed. All the ants are taken care of, and they're they're uh, well organized. And curiosity does not like curiosity without the point of surviving does not put. It's not a thing that the ants experience, as far as I understand ants. So right. I really like that. Most of what they do is based on instinct and not creativity or um, 
capitalism. Like, because <laughs> 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 clearly she's getting paid for it. How much do we know if she would still do this if she was getting paid, or how much she would risk she's if getting she wasn't up. getting paid? Like, it, getting it, paid I'm a filthy a, amount of money, so we, yeah. we know that already. Yeah, but if she wasn't getting paid for her job, would she still do it? If it was a anarchy type system, would would she still do her job? Is it something that's just in her heart? Obviously, it's probably in her heart to do because she didn't care whether or not. Because a lot of greedy people will look at the cost of getting it and probably turn around. Maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think she'd do it anyway. Just because, like, you really put in a dollar amount on your life that you and you won't be with Sinclair because you'd be dead. Oh, what I wanted to say or wanted to ask or explore, that's the better word, is now that Homeboy became and he's like, universe, (laughs) does he, is he able, is he able to... Uh, interfere with all the things like now that he's you know like yeah, even though now he's over there can is he still here to create another parallel it reminds me of Stargate with the um the ancients ascending and especially like Daniel Jackson ascending it's like I can be here I can do all this stuff but is it ethical for me to do it and then there's other characters I guess the uh, like the um, travelers, it's like they could be helping, but they don't. <laughs> they mind their own business. <laughs> and the other cues, we only got one cue that wants to bother us to death. <laughs> right. That's a good question. So the the whole issue of Psychor, you know, wanting to control everything, they advanced someone who is not who does who sees the harm in that so now that this person has like reached the ultimate completeness of being can he it interfere with the malice of Psychor? yeah well he did he did he he killed the researcher that was that basically was part of the program that created him the only researcher that could replicate the process he he murdered him he right. knew better. He's like, we don't like. Okay, what I am, we don't need any more of these. So off but, you go. <laughs> that that's that's a, that's um something that I wonder. It's like, okay, you killed him, but did you destroy his notes? Like, <laughs> and like even the injections. Like, did you destroy the possibility of that combination ever happening again? Because just how this dude stumbled across this uh, sequence. Someone else will eventually stumble across it. And then it might even be easier with these more advanced Psychor people who can do whatever the curse words and share notes and things. So I'm like, he did in that sense when he, before he evolved like to the infinite dimension, but I'm wondering if he can still continue to interfere without having to be present like how he just zoomed away mm-hmm. from to wherever he went like is he now everywhere and he knows all the things and can pinch all the parotid arteries 
<laughs> so he runs off and says, I'll see you in a million years, which mm-hmm. thanks, bro. <laughs> <laughs> And like, I, I kind of felt like he's kind of in distress. Like he's going through a lot of changes. That's hard to do. He was already like freaking out before he even broke out and he's been on the run. He's even though his brain can do so much more, he's still kind of a person and he might be under too much stress to actually think of what the wise thing to do is. He's just feeling with his heart, like, oh, I'm going to like possibly destroy a lot of people just by my existing. I can't control myself. Let me go see this girl I used to sleep with and say right. Bye. <laughs> like, <laughs> Let me go. <laughs> old teenager in puberty. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he ain't right, trying I, to help nobody. <laughs> All right, I got to make a comment. I got to make a comment. Again, <laughs> optics, visuals. It's always a blonde woman. And uh, yeah. <laughs> this, remember all of those 90s um, white savior movies? This, this again, I don't think it's intentional, but the visual is unavoidable. <laughs> that's, that's all I had to Well, and then she goes yeah. into detail talking about how uh, telepaths make love and mm-hmm. you know you go black you don't go back is basically what she said <laughs> <laughs> she said it was an out of body experience <laughs> right <Yeah. laughs> the only time she didn't hear the other voices mm-hmm. oh man <laughs> I almost thought that's what he was doing when he gave her the last gift <laughs> until they right. showed oh, her. <laughs> one last gift. Especially the way gift. she painted. Like, <laughs> yeah, she definitely had an orgasm. Something to hold you on for a million years. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. <clears throat> it, it. That's what that was. Did she? Never mind. I'm going to stop. <laughs> Had her plan with pennies later. Mm-hmm. She knows. So. Phenomenal cosmic powers. Yep. I think it's um. interesting that only humans have these, these psychic powers. Like, what is it about the human brain that none of the other species have psychics? So, in Babylon 5, most other species do have telepaths, but they only just talk about it. I think there, later, some episode down the road, there is another alien that that is telepathic. Um, actually, there's like two or three. But there is one species that does not have any telepaths. And that is the Narn. The Narn, I'm not going to tell the story now, but they used to have telepaths in their ancient past, but they don't anymore. And you'll hear Jakar talk about that um, coming up soon, I think, before the end of the season. But there, there there is an answer to the question. 
you just have to wait to the very end of the series. <laughs> <laughs> the the stone collectors, they were a little bit telepathic. Yeah. A little tiny bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I know the Mimbar the Mimbari have telepaths, but I don't know are there any Mimbari telepath characters that appear? I don't know. It sucks because I'm asking you to remember five seasons <laughs> of this. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like no telling how much of it I actually paid attention to. Because right. a lot of times he was pl- he was watching the show while he was so-called watching me and my sister. So we're playing around and stuff and that's what's on. So there were little bits that I would watch and my dad would either... There were little bits that he would sit us down and make us watch because he wanted to give us a lecture on something. <laughs> right. That's oh man, that's like the coolest way to to, to give those lessons. Like, yeah. You know this TV show that you like watching? Well, let me tell you about the real world, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, as an educator, I feel like that's the best way to use their environment. Technically, he was using his environment because this was a show he was watching. But like mm-hmm. I do, I I I kind of do that. Like I watch shows with uh, my son that he watches, uh, and later talk about it or talk about it then. Uh, and as a toddler, like uh, letter sounds, colors, shapes. It wasn't like I'm going to go buy some flashcards and stick mm-hmm. them in front of you. It was always something in the environment that had those things in it that he was already interacting with that I would just you know elaborate. <laughs> nice. That's yeah. great. I kind of feel like so Mel, you and Nita, y'all both have very creative ways to approach educating children. <laughs> I know Nita was um she was talking about her what is it, your Zen Garden project that mm-hmm. you were crafting and Aww. like your thought process and how to build that. Yeah. Those children needed an activity that would um, get them to calm down. They are just a <laughs> rowdy group of children. And it's like, I've, I've uh, guided a class of like 20, 25 preschool children. Oh, and no. it wasn't as ridiculous as guiding this class of 10 school age children, like elementary age from Mm -hmm. first grade through fifth grade. Some of them were going Mm -hmm. into sixth grade. I'm like, this is really insane. Yeah. Um, But the Zen garden, like having the the music playing in the background and the, the activity itself and talking about, you know, relaxation and mindfulness um, they were very quiet in with each step. Once they finished the step, they were like, oh, wait, I'm a rambunctious human being. Turn on obnoxious to level 3000. Um, but then when they got the next step, it was all cool. When they got the sand, oh, it was just like peace. They <laughs> said, I need to bring bigger boxes next time. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was really nice. I'll be quiet. Oh, that's great. Yeah, they always need something. They they need something. They you give them idle time and they take advantage. <laughs> yep. Something so, they have <clears throat> to focus. Go ahead, team leader. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just um 
a, a few things. So uh, Catherine, she's we you know we we kind of skipped around on this part, but she she finds herself out you know stranded at uh, Sigma five seven nine, and then this giant like impossibly large spaceship uh, just goes by. It it kind of reminds me, or it, it seems to have elements from uh, encounters of the first kind, um, first encounters of the whatever, third kind. That's what it was. I don't know. Whatever the name of that movie is. You know, these glowing lights, it's huge. It ruins her ship. She's out there stranded. And the thing, like, to me, if I had seen something like that, like, okay, I've seen spaceships before, but this thing I've never seen before, I kind of, I don't, I don't know if I would have had the wherewithal to try to, like, not crash the ship anymore. You know what I mean? But I guess she had time to think about it. She had, like, two hours to think. (laughs) Also, I don't think I would have kept something like that to myself either. Which mm-hmm. we don't know if she did. She probably did say something. She spoke to Jakar about it. But I probably would run down some uh, rabbit hole trying to figure out, like, I want, has anyone else seen things like this? Mm-hmm. And Jakar's explanation as far as, like there, are thing, like, there are things older in this universe that we have no idea what it is. And I'm like, what what's the year? Twenty two fifty eight. So in two hundred years, humans have, you know, they've they started settling, uh, in, in populating space and uh, planets and stuff like that. That's you know that's two hundred years. Two hundred years from now, um, and there are things that are billions of years older than anything else. Like that would just freak me out. That kind of that's like that. Kind of like that Lovecraftian horror, like the the unspeakable mm-hmm. horror that you don't know about, but it's just right there. Yeah. And she saw one, and it, the question is like, how much more? Um, it reminds me of this. Uh, oh man, I, I can't remember. I think it was Neil deGrasse Tyson was. It was a clip that, um, someone shared, and it was basically he's people were asking like, well, how much of space are we able to observe? And the they uh, the answer was like, well, how much of the ocean are we able to observe? Like, imagine the whole ocean. Imagine space is the ocean, and you go and grab a glass, and you take the water, you you dip the glass in the ocean, and then you look at the water in the glass. That's how much we know. And I'm like, that's a scary thought because. <laughs> We, you know, we know the ocean is full of all kinds of life, but we, if you just grab a, you know, eight ounce glass, you're not going to get too much in there. So there's, mm-hmm. there's like so much more out there to discover. Well, there's so much out there that we don't know. We don't even know if we are capable of discovering it. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause our perspective is so limited, but Jakar is like, you know, it terrifies me, but it also, what is that? It gives me hope because we don't know everything, and that's cool. And I'm like, I don't know about that. I want to know. <laughs> it's I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I thought it was really cool that he said that. <clears throat> yeah, reminds people- you like there's 
there's a lot that's out there, but um, you know you can leave it alone. Like that's an option. <laughs> yeah, it's an option until it's not. Right? right, it's an option until it's not until you know a great white shark decides like, hey, that looks delicious, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And oh, that's a huge theme with uh, a lot of older sci-fi, older than this. Whereas, if there's other beings out there, they obviously want to control us and take over the planet. Right. <laughs> because why else <laughs> would they be exploring? And there's, there's, there's no thought of, well, with all the possibility of all of the different creatures that could be out there, that there's a possibility that they're out there, why are they not just minding their own business? Which is pretty much like the point of the book that I've been working on. It's like, what can why can't we just imagine that they're on their planet doing their own thing? What? <laughs> right. Like we are the ants to them. Imagine that. And like like he was saying, how could we possibly communicate with the ants? So we're not even on like they don't care about what we're doing because we're so insignificant yes mm-hmm. and that also is kind of i don't know if it's terrifying but it's just like very difficult to to um to comprehend like we think that we on earth we think that we are kind of like the the top of the food chain we are this you know we're supposedly you know so smart and this and that and it's like mm, Maybe we're not. I mean, on this planet, maybe we're not. Maybe there are some things that have different types of intelligence that we're not aware of in the ocean, right? Right. But, like, to imagine or to try to conceive of an intelligence that's so far beyond us that it wouldn't consider us intelligence, that's wild, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, it also reminds me of the Knox from Stargate Atlantis. No, not Atlantis. Stargate SG-1. And there's another one. Another species. Oh, the Vulcans. Like, when they first... They didn't come talk to us until we got to a certain level. It was like, we just going to know that they're there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and the Knox are, like, uh, calling um, the team of SG-1, like, children... And like O'Neill's like, I just got out of retirement for this. How are you calling me a child? Like, <laughs> and, and they're trying to protect the Knox the whole time, but it's like, and they're just like, whatever, like because their their knowledge was like so advanced that they didn't need to worry about the uh, goal. They, they didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> so by the end of this episode, we run into two. We have two conversations about unbelievable the unbelievable events that happened um jakar and Catherine, like granted no that she's not put in a position that she has to be believed for what she saw it's just it's just wild but with um with what happened with uh psychor bester sinclair and garibaldi yeah garibaldi's in this episode by the way y'all he does he get punched in his stomach or in his nuts by Talia? I thought it was his stomach. Yeah, well, she he got punched somehow. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Basically, he was his lewd 
thoughts leaked out and she was just like, no, nope. <laughs> no. Everything that happened on the ship, ship on the station, what in the report is unbelievable. And they're like, they're, nobody's going to believe this. And they're like, that's why we're going to tell something that's close to the truth. You know, um, the idea, I guess, is to keep everyone, you know, to protect everybody because the truth is just way too wild. But let's tell them something that's more mundane. But this is an instance where Sinclair is having he for the most part, he has the upper hand on Bester. But you can't I kind of get a sense that Bester's like, sure, okay, you serve my purposes. I'll I will follow your lead. Because I think Bester gets into less trouble the way that Sinclair decided to twist things. Yeah. Or the the core has less attention on them. Because what what do you think Earth Force and the rest of the population would feel or think when they find out, hey, Psycor has been trying to breed these super soldiers that have telekinesis and can assassinate you from a distance. I mean, um, that's um what's that one? Uh MK Ultra, basically. Hmm. Yeah, man, I didn't. I did not put in my notes that that just. Huh. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was that that that's scary because the the sky obviously they're trying to take over Earth. Yeah, <laughs> and obviously. they have really good methods of doing so apparently, and they just lost one of their biggest ones. Yeah, because if the Psycor can turn telepaths, make them stronger, or turn them into te- telekinetics. Um, then they have some very powerful weapons. I mean, I guess they they mentioned that they do have a TK test when they graduate the core academy or whatever. But I guess their telekinetics is, you know, underdeveloped. So Talia mm-hmm. was struggling to move a penny across a table, which, you know, mm-hmm. that's not very useful. Um, but with what Jason was able to do, he basically could create like, a telekinetic shield around him and his mind quakes were damaging the station and it blew up that ship. You know, that's, that's power. That's, that's like a um, weapon of mass destruction, which Jason was explaining, like everyone would want. And that's why they couldn't have any more of them. But ironically, he gives her the power to have telekinesis. Granted, it's not that much, but, Right. It's like I'm trying to keep telekin I'm trying to keep them from having a um stable telekinesis and so I give you the power of a stable telekinesis. <laughs> which is why I really feel like he's not trying he's thinking more with um he's not thinking with his mind. <laughs> she and I'm pretty sure she's gonna have some creative um things to do with that telekinesis anyway so overall how did y'all feel about this episode uh, was this a good one was this a bad one how does this rate with the past episode so far i liked it and my favorite part was when he tore that lady adam from adam that was my favorite part i that- definitely liked the previous episode better but this was still great that was kind of a cool special effect too. She he didn't like 
burn her. He didn't like mutilate her. She just fell apart (laughs) 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 and went away. She just was dust. She got dusted. (laughs) I found it very interesting, the metaphors that were used in the science of this um, storytelling. Um, I like that. Um, It was good. It wasn't, there were no like real big holes because they did actually, it's hard to have science holes in things when you're talking about things that we have no idea of. And, but then sometimes when some sci-fis talk about things that we have no idea of, you look at, you you can sit there and look at it, but it's this. (laughs) But with this, they went so far that it's like, yeah, I can imagine not imagining what in the world is going on. <laughs> <laughs> they did a good job of that. So, yeah, that was the point. Good job. <laughs> I thought this was a pretty strong episode. Um, it felt more like a made-for-TV movie than any mm-hmm. other episode. Like even the music supported it. It was it was very different. Like it was directed differently. The pacing was very rapid. And the story came across very quickly. They didn't have like 40 different threads open. They only had like three. You got a little bit of of everything, all the alien characters, even though the telepaths were central. Um, And then the overall story is like there there are mysteries. There are good mysteries. There are bad mysteries. And there's something in human nature that wants to know more. Like, can we do this? Should we do this? And I think that's a good sci-fi story. Like, by the end of it, if you're asking some questions, like some some serious uh, existential questions, then I'm thinking like you 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 probably wrote a successful sci-fi story. Um, so I I don't know. Um, I think I agree with you, Nita. I think the last episode was better than this one, but this was a really strong entry. If for nothing, then how the story was put together, it was it was done very well. All right. Any final thoughts? A million years, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I'll see you in a million years. And then off he goes. First of all, bro, where are you going? Can you can you take some of us with you? Like, please. (laughs) One of my final thoughts is this is our first appearance of like Bester. Um, He shows up more and you are going to have a very particular thought when you see his face on the screen the first time each episode <laughs> and i'm gonna leave it at that uh, he's a outside space of man. that's old old shuck off <laughs> yep yeah no <laughs> i mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> the second thought yeah i can't so, see him without thinking shuck off <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm like is he gonna get the same vessel <laughs> oh no i think he does in one of the episodes but it's like, uh, his speech patterns are so creepy. I don't like listening to him talk. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, he makes he your skin, well. your skin crawl. That's how, that's how good he is at, at portraying this character. Yeah. All right. And let's it, get out of here. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Right. No, I, I don't want to make it longer, but um, yeah, you can, if you see the original Star Trek and you see like him just being professional and the like, young professional and then just being creepy (laughs) you turn to him just being creepy creepy and controlling 
It's like I'm gonna throw away, throw around my power. <laughs> like you can, you can see contrast. the t- you can see the toxicity just oozing out of his skin. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna love hating this character. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's get out of here. This is uh, another episode of Voices in Hyperspace with Damian, aka Legendary Black Lion. You can find me at Legendary Black Lion on all social media. I guess we call it X now. Um, don't follow me there. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok. I'm Mel Asylum. You can find me at Mel Asylum or Mel's Rebellion on what's it called? Well, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, especially. Come find me and find my books on Amazon. I'm Nita, and I am Nita. Nice. Thank y'all for joining for joining us for this week, and we'll see y'all next time.